Now, if I speak like this, can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Okay, cool. I was born in a place called Ellesmere. This is the main street of Ellesmere. It's, actually, I wasn't born here. I moved here when I was three. I was born in London. I moved here when I was three, and I stayed here from the age of three to 11. It was, I had the best childhood. I, I, I cannot complain at all. I got in tons and tons of trouble. We had heaps of adventure. There was a stack of mischief. I learned all sorts of things. In fact, I learned to fish just here where that red barge is. That's where I caught my first ever fish on this fishing rod I won at a circus stall thing. My first ever fish right there. I played soccer at this soccer ground in Ellesmere. That's where I learned to play soccer, my passion for what we called football, but over here you have to call it soccer, otherwise people don't have a clue what you're talking about. I learned to swim here. This was the only swimming pool in for miles and miles and miles because in England, who on earth in their right mind would go in a swimming pool? It's just too cold. But they had one in the school and this is where I learned to swim and loved to swim. And when we went back just after we were married, we went back and did a, a stay in England and went to Ellesmere and I remember taking Lyndall round, we drove around and I would share different memories, different things of this happened there and that happened there. And in the sharing of those memories, they become quite powerful. They become quite emotive when you're immersed back in how things used to be. Now, I didn't, I didn't show her where I tried my first cigarette at the age of nine. In fact, I only talked to her about it a week ago and she was really surprised and disgusted. I didn't share with her where our pet dog, Bruce, got hit by a car and killed at the age of 10. I didn't share where um, I stole a boat at the age of 11 and then got caught by the police. That is a good sermon story for another day. But, um, but there were things I didn't really want to remember. The things, the memories you don't want to go back to, so you don't have things that cause you to remember them. You put them on the back burner. But there is great joy and strength that can be gained when you have a memory that you can revisit and it strengthens and informs your present because you go back there. Now, last week when we we're talking about the Israelites, they'd walk through the Jordan and they come through together. And why did they come through together? Because they are. Oh, yes, come on, better together. Let's practice it. Let's say it all together. One, two, three. Better together. They were better together. We are better together. And as they walk through, God gives Joshua a fascinating set of instructions about how to remember what has just taken place, the walking through the Jordan. Now, remembering in the Bible is a little bit different to how we think about remembering. We think about remembering of like, where on earth did I put the car keys? I can't remember. Or, my favourite, I go sit down at the couch and realise I didn't remember to pick up my glasses just as I sit down. I'm like, oh no, they're on the bench all those two or three metres away. I really don't want to get it. Or the, perhaps the, the most terrifying thing that happens to me on a weekly basis where Lyndall texts me and says, can you remember to get the milk while you're out? That is a lot of stress and a lot of pressure to remember to get the milk. And it's 50-50, whether the milk comes home or not, and whether I have to go back out and get the milk. But remembering in the Bible is very different to this. The Bible understands remembering the opposite. And the opposite of remembering isn't forgetting. The opposite of remembering is being dismembered. 
So you are remembered and you are dismembered, you are pulled apart. And so when the Bible talks about remembering, it's about us being pulled back together again. So you know when we share communion and there's these words, we remember what Jesus said. We're, we're re- being remembered, we're being brought back together by the words and the actions of Jesus. We're being brought back together in ourselves because we get dismembered in this world. But we're also being remembered, we're being brought back together as a people, as a community. So when the Bible talks about remembering, it's talking about bringing things and putting things back together again, a restoring, if you like. That's what we're talking about today, that kind of remembering, which God instructs Joshua to do, and then Joshua instructs the Israelites to do with a lot more words than God told Joshua. So he improvises a little and he fills in some of the gaps. So those of you that wonder if I'm talking directly from God, there's biblical permission that I can, I can add in some details in case we've missed them from what God might have, have said. But the, the instructions are about how they're to remember the miracle they've just experienced. And the miracle is walking through the Jordan. So God pauses and he says, it's really, really important that you remember this. It's really important. Now, why was it important? It's important because the, the Israelites, they moved from Egyptian slavery to promised land freedom. And they, they moved from being lost to being found, from the desert to plentiful, from being homeless to being at home, from death to life through the Jordan River. That's why the Jordan River in Israelite history and Jewish history is so important. You remember where Jesus was baptised? Jordan River. You remember where Jesus baptised his first people? You remember where John the Baptist baptised people? Jordan River. Because of this. Because the Jordan was the gateway from death to life, from being lost to being found, from having nothing to having everything in God. And so the people have crossed into the promised land. They're now on the other side. And the Ark of the Covenant, if you hear last week, the Ark of the Covenant is with the, Israel, the Levitical priests in the middle of the Jordan River as it's dry, because it stopped flowing, it's dry, and they're waiting for everybody to get past. So God is taking on the full risk, waiting for everyone to get past. We read in Joshua 4, verse 5, God's instructions. Go over before the, the Ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So he's chosen 12 people. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder to serve as a sign among you. Now those 12 people were 12 representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel. So basically all of Israel through these 12 volunteers was picking up a stone that was sacred to the bottom of the Jordan River. And you do this because your children ask you, what do those stones mean? And you will tell them, that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So each of the 12 tribes assist in crossing the Jordan. They assist the the priests in crossing, as we talked about last week. And now, each of those 12 tribes are asked to help remember what God is doing by grabbing a stone. So they're sent back 
So everyone's through, and then the 12 volunteers are sent back into the Jordan River, still dry, pick up the biggest stone you can possibly find and lift. And then bring it out. And then walk it up the path, the two kilometres, to Gilgal, which is where we're camped. And Gilgal was two kilometres from the Jordan, and then another five kilometres down the road was Jericho. We'll get to Jericho in a week or two's time. It says in verse 19, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that they'd taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you were crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And so then Joshua goes with these 12 guys to Gilgal to build a monument that's in the camp that says this is our first night spent at home. They finally got home. You know that feeling you buy a house and you're so excited to get into the house that before it's ready and before all your furniture is there you go and have a picnic and you take the camper mattress or you, you've maybe moved the beds in and that's the only thing that goes in first and you have this awkward night where you're sleeping in your new house because you're so excited that you're finally home. And you have takeaway, you have your plastic cups and it's as budget as it comes but it's so special because it's that point that you remember that's when we, had, that's when we came home. It's when we had our home. God is saying to them, this is your new home. It's your home. Always remember this. This is your home. I have given it to you. Build a monument and remember it. When Lyndall and I first moved into our first uh, property, it was a rental, and we went in and we built a monument of Pop-Tarts. Do you remember what Pop-Tarts are? They unfortunately are not really much in circulation anymore, but they were this amazing, like, it was like, it was just bizarre. It was like this hard cardboard pastry with an elaborate sprinkling of stuff on top and then a gooey in the middle and you stick them in the toaster. And so whenever people would come round, we're like, do you want a Pop-Tart? And it got to the point where people would bring their Pop-Tarts round. This is before Linda was gluten-free. It was the good old days. And, <laughs> and we, we had these, and was like, they're disgusting. Why would you ever eat them? And we took these boxes and this isn't ours. Ours was far more glorious than that. It reached the roof. It was this monument. And it didn't matter what the Pop-Tarts were. It was the fact that this is a monument to say this is, we've arrived and this is our place where us and our friends now dwell. Monuments say we have moved in and we will not forget it. But also in the same moment, Joshua is doing something else. So he builds this monument at Gilgal in the camp but then something strange happens. It says in verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. So Joshua goes back to the Jordan 
And he takes these massive stones and in the Jordan River, which is now dry, he builds this monument. Does that sound ridiculous? Like, Josh, the water's going to come back in a minute. No one's going to be able to see the monument. But he is there building this monument with 12 stones as large as he possibly can. Now, the beauty of Joshua making this monument, just like Joshua made the monument at Gilgal, was when he put his hands to moving the stones, he didn't care who brought what stone. It wasn't like the, 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 um, the other tribes may have been like, oh, I hope our, our stone gets on top, pride of place on top of the monument. Or maybe they're thinking, oh, I hope they use ours as a foundational piece, not just a middle piece. But Joshua doesn't care because he knows they're better together. It doesn't matter what they bring. It's the fact that they brought it, the fact that they participated that counts. And so he starts making these monuments. You see, monuments reinforce that we are better together with God. And so, so Joshua builds this monument at Gilgal and then he builds this monument in the very centre of the Jordan River that currently in the moment of the story it's dry but it's not going to stay dry for long. And the reason he makes the monument is so that when people see the monument they'll go, wow, look what God did. Now, every follower of Jesus has a monument in their lives something that Jesus has set up in your life so you can easily remember what Jesus did. What do you think it is? Silence is deafening. <laughs> well, let me give you a clue. Sunday, the 29th of April, 1996. I was 18 years old, baptism. I was 18 years old, and our church met at mum and dad's house because mum and dad were the only people mad enough to have a swimming pool in Victoria. And if you've never been to Victoria, there's no need. Just stay up here where it's nice and warm. And even now, when it's Arctic, it's still warmer than it is in Victoria. And so, so mum and dad lent the swimming pool, and we went and we responded to some questions that were asked about our our allegiance and our commitment to Christ and we pledged that we would follow Jesus. Now it was April. So April here is nice. It's mild, right? April in Victoria, it may well be snowing. It's not actually out of the equation. We've got it easy up here. And so, so we waded into the pool through the ice and Ian Hickingbotham, who was my minister at the time, he baptised me. And you may be wondering, like, okay, that was Uniting Church, and Uniting Church baptised babies, so Ralph, why weren't you baptised as a baby? Great question. The reason I wasn't baptised as a baby is because mum baptised my brother and forgot to baptise me. Forgot. She may well be listening to this on the audio recording. That's right, mum. <laughs> forgot. Baptism is the monument that Jesus builds into our lives so that we would always remember, so that we would look back to and go, oh, look what God did. There's proof, there's evidence of what God did that I would be baptised. It's the monument that points to what God did, what only God can do, only God can baptise. We can all jump into a pool, but only God can baptise. 
So I'd love us to take just a minute or two. What are your baptism stories? How were you baptised? When did it happen? Was it as a baby? Was it as a teenager? Was it in adult years? Baby. Baby? Yeah, awesome. How old? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, I know. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen. the same, near the same, yeah. Fourteen. Double banger. Nice, nice. You're well and truly in. Double monument. It's like this story, right? This is the camp, this is the river. Oh, so good, 96. We baptised Essie when she was 92 downstairs. It's amazing, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that, that sense of life is, is never too late for us to encounter. Any other interesting stories? They just knocked you over. <laughs> the opposite to that was when, when Sam and Riley and Jonty, when we went down to the beach and I thought we were going to die because the surf was huge. What are we doing? My goodness. If you're not baptised and you realise there's a sense of this thing, I, I, I want to talk about that, I want to move into that, then please do, let's have a chat about it. I'd love to speak to you about it. But the idea of remembering is so important. It's so important that an entire chapter of the book of Joshua, which is a crackerjack tale, an entire chapter is just about the mechanics of remembering. Make sure you remember what God did. Now, where was that monument built? The one that Joshua went back, the second one. Where was it built? Middle of the Jordan River. Do you find that strange? It's a little bit, little bit bizarre. When the water returns, what happens? You can't see it, right? It doesn't matter how tanked or big Joshua is. We don't know how tall he is. Let's say 6'6", six, six, and he's ripped. And he takes these massive rocks. His 12 stones that he's going to build are not going to be the 5 or 6 metres high that the Jordan is in full flow, which is about the height of that beam. It's just not going to work. And we know, because the story tells us, that the Jordan went back to how it was in flood when the Ark of the Covenant moved out. And we also know that it floods every harvest. That's why they harvest when they do. So when the land was being harvested and was ripe with fruit and grain and produce, the monument would be completely covered up. You just wouldn't be able to see it. Because when all is well in the land, you don't need a reminder that God brought you there. The produce is the reminder that God is good and God has us in a good place. But what about in drought? When things are tough, and hard, when there was no harvest, 
What about when it's scorched and dry and free of rain? Well, the river would be like this. That is the Jordan River during drought. They didn't have the benefit of that nice little bridge that's there to, to cross over. But that's, that's the Jordan in drought. And so when you have a Jordan River like that in drought, what could you see in the middle of the river? The monument. When life is tough and they need a reminder, ha, it's there, we can see it. When life is good, there's no need for a reminder because the goodness is the reminder of God. God cared for his people so much that he positioned it there that he's like, when, when you look like you're giving up, when the promised land hasn't been all you thought it would be and you look to the river and you go, ha, God is still with us. Look what God did. He took us through this. Now the Israelites have fine form in wanting to run away when things get hard. I know they're very different from us, aren't they? <laughs> Exodus 16.3 says the Israelites, they're in the middle of the desert under Moses. They said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Just think about that, it's horrible. If only God had murdered us when we were in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Now, they forget something. They forget a couple of things. First of all, they forget that those meat pots where they got to eat everything they want, were part, they were the leftover Egyptian food scraps that were gristle and, and meat, that, that sort of horrid thing that was more of a soup than it was meat, right? Not my favourite meal, if you know me. I'm not a big soup fan. And so we're just like, whoa, now they forget that. But at the same time, they forgot that in the desert, every single day, God brought quail and manna. Without question, every single day, except Friday, when he said, I'm going to look after you over the Sabbath, I'm going to give you double. Everything they wanted, but they had to live by faith. And so they're in the desert, and they're like, we, we want to go back to Egypt, where it was horrendous, where we were in fear of our lives, when we were working too hard, where it was just the worst. They have a track record that they have to retreat to comfort. It's like us, right? We want to retreat to comfort. The Israelites, they're actually like us. They hate discomfort, even because of their faith, especially when it's their faith. If it's to do with our faith, we want us to be comfortable because God should make us comfortable. And God's like, no, 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 I made you a people of faith. It comes with uncomfortable territory. That's where I want you to live because there you will thrive with me. But the Israelites want to retreat because as we said a few weeks ago, the past looks wonderful when the future looks scary. When the future looks scary, we go, oh, but I wish it were how it used to be and we distort how it used to be. Now, if an Israelite were ever to retreat to the good old days, they would have to wait till when? The Jordan was in drought. They couldn't go when the harvest was there. They would have to wait till the season when the Jordan was at its lowest in able to traverse the Jordan River. And what would they find at the point closest to Egypt to retreat back? They would find a reminder that says, look what I did. Perhaps you've forgotten. Perhaps it's too tough for you at the moment. Perhaps you're scared. Perhaps you're struggling to know me. 
But remember, I saved you before and I will save you again. The Israelites had the stone monument that would have looked nothing like this. We have our baptism. Both are built on the saving work of God. Now, pop quiz, who's this? Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill put a lot of thought into his funeral. He planned it to the nth degree. It was to be held at this place. Where's that? St. Paul's Cathedral. That's two from two, Greg. Crushing it. You don't even teach me history, do you? Oh, it's a wonderful piece of It is. I actually, oh, of course. I actually, I wanted to go there when we were visiting and they, they were charging to go and I flat out refused to pay money to go into a church. I'm still not sure if that's the right decision, but I was very staunch, like, I'm not going in there. Anyway, Winston Churchill uh, had his funeral in the Instant Paul's Cathedral to a very traditional Anglican liturgy. And after the benediction, which in a funeral is the very last thing you do, at the very last moment of the funeral, and nowadays in funerals we play a song as the casket's taken out. But back then, Winston Churchill required them to play on a bugle the song or the, 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 the tribute taps. And so a bugler who was up in the dome of St Paul's Cathedral played taps. And taps is the military way of defining that the day is over. So at the end of every day, at the end of every day of war, to say we've made it, it's finished, it's done, lights out, they played taps. And so as Winston Churchill is being escorted from, in the casket, escorted from St. Paul's Cathedral, taps is playing. And the note, the very note that finished, when they finished playing taps, another bugler on the other side of the dome played the reveille. And the reveille is, it's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up in the morning. And it was a call to military formation played every morning for the army to say it's time to wake up and take on the day. Churchill wanted to remind everyone that even in the final darkest days, the tune that will be played is not taps, but the reveille. Because God has conquered, God has won, God is life. That's what the monument preaches to the Israelites. The night you thought would never pass, God has broken through and it is a new day and he has not left you there, he is still with you. That's what your baptism preaches to you. The sin you thought would never be gone, God has broken through that with his salvation, and he has not left you there, he is still with you. There will be times as we move forward into this process where what we're calling bumps might happen. You know, there's things where you're like, oh, that's not really pleasant. I didn't see that coming. I don't necessarily like that. I struggle with that. There might be times when you feel displaced or upset or angry or lost or hurt and you want to go back to how it was now. Like, just take us back. It was way better back then. Where you may question, what on earth have we done? Was it the right decision? Or you'll grieve the way things used to be because you just miss them. 
But God, and this is what our baptism teaches us, this is what the monument teaches us, God does not call us back to comfort. He calls us forward in faith. God never calls us back to comfort. He calls us forward in faith. Out of the grace that he uses our baptism to remind us of this glorious truth that the best God has for us is still to come. The best God has for us still to come. And so Lord, we are excited that your best for us, for us as a church, for us in Burley, for us in our lives, as, as people that are facing whatever we are facing, Lord, the best of you is still to come, that your saving act of grace was the beginning, not the end of our journey with you. And so, Lord, call us away from things that draw us to want to be around because they're comfortable and they're easy and we know them. Compel us to follow you out of faith, to dare to risk for you. And we know, we know we have a constant reminder, a monument set up in our lives of our baptism to look back and that signifies that you died on a cross for us. You saved us from our sin. You set us free. And that is the life that you want us to live in. And so Lord, remind us of that now. That the life you have called us to may be different to the life that we have settled with. And so we simply need to step forward in faith. We need to trust you that you might lead us forward, Lord Jesus. And so receive this song, Lord, as we declare it to you and you stir in our hearts a discontent to stay put and an eagerness to follow you, Lord.